Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome to episode 261 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have regular contributor and good friend J.Q. Public with his segment called Global Hobo. We'll be talking to J.Q. Public as he sits in his home in the south of France. We discuss Friends in the Pyrenees, Zen Satori Bliss, Carl Jung and personality types, Jordan Peterson and transgender rights versus free speech. We'll be talking about the alt-right and the classic liberal mindset. We'll talk about being open, nature versus nurture, how to cure the Republicans, self-understanding, good ideas and bad ideas, all of this leading toward how to be open as a human being. A great conversation with JQ Public today on the program. We have an EW essay by yours truly titled Adieu. And we have our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis, reading for us some Carl Jung on the collective unconscious. We also have a poem titled Trust. And as is always the case, this will all be ensconced, imbued, infused by and within the wonderful music of several astoundingly talented artists. Let's get to it. Episode 261 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Your lips, your lips, your lips, your lips, 
adieu. A cavalcade of sparrows in a bush near my dining room window sing in the sunshine on this late winter afternoon. It is bright with a slight crispness in the air. People are walking, humming, running. All is well in the USA. We are still indeed united, though two, in somewhat significant ways, divided. And number 45 and the despicable Republican Congress, the Supreme Court majority, too, could be an opportunity for you and me to clearly see what happens when citizens are not informed, educated on the particulars of the issues, and also withhold themselves from the democratic process. Bedlam, greed, minority of opinion rule, lascivious drool, despondently cruel. What would Carl Jung think? Would he believe our civilization is on the brink of self-destruction? Or would he see instead that we were just being normally misled? A little too much in our heads. The soul and loving heart inside each of these amazing human control systems are so very important to the way we function, as tantamount to a healthy existence as the sun and rain is to our homestead ecosystem. And we know this to be true. We need to overpower the milieu of the few. To the small-minded fear, we must bid adieu. I hear a cavalcade of sparrows singing. Do you? The aliens are here But it's kind of hard to tell They look just like us Got us under their spell The God is living It's insanity versus humanity Decisions made by the suits in the sky The numbers are in and the numbers don't lie Heads are gonna roll, people are gonna die it's insanity versus humanity A speeding train heading for the abyss It's insanity versus humanity It's what it is
Hello, EW. Is, is this JQ Public? I'm afraid so. The yes. global hobo? So the, so you call me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hi, my friend. I'm okay. I'm okay. JQ Public. We're talking with him as he sits in his place in the south of France. He has a regular segment here on Troubadours on Rock on Tours called Global Hobo. And, yeah, uh, and I can tell you here in the south of France, uh, it is shockingly cold. Yeah, today it's kind of nice where I'm at. I'm in northeastern uh, Pennsylvania, and uh, it's 60 degrees and sunny. Well, there you go. We have your Pennsylvania weather over here. I really wish you'd come and pick it up. It's <laughs> nah. been, uh, for the last, oh, five days or so, it's been really, really cold, and I... I Added to the cold by traveling south to see a bunch of friends uh, in the Pyrenees last week and over the weekend. And uh, so I was, uh, you know, I live in the south of France and there I was among the snow-capped mountaintops and uh, there was snow everywhere and it was unbelievably frigid. And uh, I was, of course, not prepared. <laughs> no. I had some warm clothes, but, you know, not enough. Who are these people? Are these our old friends from a bunch of other uh, oh, hobos? Yeah, it was a it was a great group. There, there, it was a bunch of friends who are scattered around 
France, but who we all know each other from the island of Corsica, where we meet up regularly. And so there were people from Marseille, from Paris, from Toulouse, and from Corsica. Um, and so we all met up over the weekend. And uh, I thought of you, actually, because I had an experience that, you know, I've been living abroad for a long time, but I, I used to have this experience very, very often. I was at this chalet in the Pyrenees on this mountainside, you know, with snow to the left and the right. And I, I stepped outside onto, there was sort of a terrace overlooking this green valley below us. And uh, evening was falling and I had a glass of champagne in my hand and a cigarette in the other. And and I, I just looked out at, at, at this unbelievable scenery. And this, then suddenly, and this used to happen to me all the time, I remembered I was from a working class family and you know, from back in the States, the son of a TV repairman, and I just, all of a sudden, it dawned on me in this marvelous uh, explosion of bliss, and all I could think was, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> How did my life get to be this way? You know, and that used to happen to me all the time, but I, I've been living abroad and traveling a lot for 20 years, so it happens less and less, but it hit me there, and it was really nice, and I thought of you from back in the days when I used to wheel into the States, and you had your old am radio show that i would do or uh you had a, for a while that um poetry magazine i used to write for that's right you know and uh, yeah and so back in those days when i used to come in it was very common and i believe we've talked about that before that every now and then i'd have this sort of zen satori bliss <laughs> come over me for no reason just because everything around me was so foreign all the time and uh and being in unfamiliar circumstances like that really puts helps things with that. Yeah, puts things into perspective. Yeah, especially when things are beautiful and exotic. You know, when you're when you're on the road and you know holes in your shoes and no money, trying to get to the next destination and busking for change or, or whatever, then it's a lot less fun. But uh, those moments still come, and, and it did this weekend. But you asked about the mix of people. It was really really interesting. So there were a lot of interesting conversations because you had. Uh, all right, my friend Joel, who directs my music videos, right, um, in Corsica, uh, which, quick plug, people can see on YouTube, JQ Public, right? Um, she organized all of this, and but there are some other friends that are in the restaurant business, right? Uh, so you had people like Joel and other musicians that I know. Uh, so there was jamming and a lot of talk of art projects and music projects and concerts and songwriting and this sort of thing and filmmaking and and there were the people that were restaurant people who were sort of, you know, more into the art of food and, and service. And there were conversations around that and comparing the two. Then there were a few other people there that were working in things like advertising or the medical profession who were, you know, more professional type. What, 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 what people would think of as more conservative careers, I guess, but aren't necessarily. But, but there, so it was a really interesting mix and, and uh, the comparison, comparing and contrasting. Uh, among people's lives it was it was a great time but it got me personally interested because as you probably you know we you and I talk occasionally and you know I've been studying for for many years now uh I'm a huge fan of Carl Jung and I've yeah, been studying uh, yeah the, the most one of the most important thinkers of the 20th century hands down for me you know because anytime you say the word introvert or extrovert anytime you say synchronicity or talk about a, a man having both a masculine and feminine side or a woman having a masculine and feminine side as well. Animus and anima were his terms. Well, you're, that, that, you're that's not accepted. That's not really uh, accepted in the United States. You're either a man 
Are you a woman? Oh, come on. It is it is accepted. You, you know, let's not make Americans out to be dumber than they are. They you know, they do fine on their own. <laughs> right? We do fine on our own. Oh, you're right. Mo- but, most uh, Americans are pretty cool with that, but there are a few million who are not cool with that. But I well, digress. Not, but, but, you you know, di- I, I digress you. Kicking and screaming will drag them into the 20th century, and maybe one day they'll get to the 21st. But, uh, but so, anyway, that stuff fascinates me. So I'm very interested in, in personality typology or, you know, a lot of people might be familiar with the sort of popular personality tests that are out there where you can gauge yourself. Uh, one of the really well-known one, ones is Myers-Briggs, Myers-Briggs, the Myers-Briggs yeah. test, which is based on Jungian typology. Uh, there's another one called the Big Five, which has gotten a lot of attention, uh, a lot of sunlight recently, mainly because uh, this guy, Jordan Peterson, who you may have heard of, I have. Uh, he's he's become sort of he's uh, an internet celebrity in a very strange way because he's actually a pretty a very fascinating intellectual. He's a clinical psychologist and something of a philosopher as well. Uh, interesting guy. Canadian interesting. is he Canadian? That yeah, he's Canadian. He he came into public attention because uh, of the Canadian Bill C sixteen. I think it's called. Basically, it was about transgender rights, mm-hmm. and he opposed it vociferously, but. He didn't oppose it because it, uh, because he was against transgender rights at all. He opposed it because it was a bill that was proposing that we make it they make it law uh, to use certain pronouns, and he opposed it on the basis of free speech, saying, "Well, wait a second, that's compelled speech. That's that's against the entire tradition of Western civilization, <laughs> you know, and, and particularly." Uh, modern Western civilization, where free speech is not just one other right, it is the bedrock right. Without communication, we can't have a successful democracy. It's a, it's a, it's a basis for everything that we do in terms of our freedoms. So he opposed it on those grounds, well, which did, led to. Well, what are they, well, let me let me get clear. What, was he? Uh, he was against uh, a pronoun like the word "they" instead of "he" or "she," because I know that's kind of common. Uh, uh, yeah, but he wasn't even against it. I, I think what he said was on a personal level, if somebody asked him to in pri- you know, privately, in private conversation, he'd use the pronoun they wanted out of politeness. The fact that it was state-sponsored, legally compelled speech right. to say that and that you could be punished, you know, potentially jailed. You would be fined, but then if you didn't pay the fine, was his point, well, then you would have to go to jail eventually. All right. Uh, so this was walking on free speech, and he said that's an absolute no-no. <laughs> uh, you know, in a in a in an enlightened democracy, so you can't do that. What happened afterwards was what was really interesting, and this is what brought him into the spotlight for all the wrong reasons. Uh, the right wing, because he was opposing, and generally, like Noam Chomsky, he he opposes uh, Marxist-based leftism, right? And the social justice warrior type of thing uh, that looks way too much like what you used to see out of the Eastern communist bloc with, you know, comrade, you must use the correct political language type of thing. Uh, He opposes that, although he defines himself as what he calls a classical liberal, which is basically somebody who's read David Hume, I think. But uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard to define. But as he was... As he was doing this, the right wing, so and people on the alt right, for a little while until they understood what that he was not really on their side, they made him a hero. 
because he was opposing this bill and was loud about it, right, and got attention because of it. And because they made him a hero for all the wrong reasons, the left began to vilify him as though he represented the alt-right. So they vilified him for all the wrong reasons. So he was getting flack from both sides. Nobody really listened to the guy. Now, I was already somewhat familiar with him, but uh, that was because he put online, and he was already getting sort of popular, a series of his lectures on, to come back to our point, Carl Jung, uh, other thinkers that I really like, like Kierkegaard and Nietzsche, my guys, you know, so I sort of knew him because of that. And then watched this unfold, and it was really interesting. Uh, but to come back to the point, uh, Peterson also talks a lot as a clinical psychologist about the other popular personality test, which is called the Big Five. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, if you take either of these tests, uh, you it, it, it's it's a very strange experience because you begin to realize things that you thought were totally original about you or that were you you know define you as a person belong to categories uh, including the way you lean politically the second test I mentioned the big five which gives you five categories that it scores you in scores you as you know more or less extroverted more or less uh, agreeable more or less neurotic more or less uh, open and more or less conscientious. Those are the five categories. And according to your scores, it has remarkable success at predicting your political leanings. Hmm. Which means that, you know, in, in our societies, which are so incredibly polarized, to me, this has been known for quite a while now, this should be front page news. When you're talking to somebody who is of a conservative leaning and you're a person on the left or vice versa, they sound crazy to you very often. But in fact, your thinking on a lot of issues is sort of predetermined by your personality type. Not completely, and obviously there's a million and one variations. People are more complex than any type you can apply to them. But they it can be predicted. So the other person facing you is not really an enemy. It's really sort of another type of being. And I think if that were more known, more generally known, we could go a long way towards beginning to reopen the dialogue. I mean, we've become so tribal and so polarized and everybody talks about this, but it doesn't seem to be slowing down, you know, uh, not as far as I can see anyway. So uh, are, you, are, are you thinking that most people are beyond the possibility of changing, uh, which would be contra to their uh, inherent uh, intrinsic personality type? Or do you think if well, people know that that's the precondition, so to speak, that they have, maybe they could be more open then? Ye- well, uh, the latter, I, I think. In other words, yeah, we are more predetermined than we think, and that seems like a, a sort of cage, you know, that we're trapped in our, our identity uh, or our, our character, our personality, rather. But when you begin to become conscious of that, that is specifically what begins to free you from it. It, it teaches you to listen to other people because, you know, you they know things that you don't, even when they sound sort of uh, – when they hold different beliefs than you do. I'll give you an example of that. Okay, now the, th- the two main categories in the big five that tend to determine uh, political leanings or that, that can predict them are 
called openness and conscientiousness. And openness, to give you an idea, my own score on the Big Five test, and I'm somebody, I'm a creative artist, something of a vagabond, you know, uh, but I'm the type of person who likes to think of myself as so original or outside of, you know, society, marginal, all of these things. But in fact, that's a personality type. Even being an artist, a creative personality is a type. I scored very high in openness, as high as you can. I scored 100%. Openness tends to be a predictor of creativity. And it involves certain strengths and weaknesses. Uh, Conscientiousness tends to be more about being able to be practical and orderly in one's life and dutiful as well. So there's even a moral component to conscientiousness. Uh, And I scored very low in conscientiousness. Now, people who score high in openness, like me, tend to lean left politically. People who score high in conscientiousness and lower in openness tend to lean right politically. Hmm, so it is, and it explains why, all right, if you're high in conscientiousness, okay, you like everything, you like very clearly defined borders. Now, what is one of the typical political stances of people on the right? They want stricter immigration policy. They want more clearly defined borders, in other words. They want traditional they, households, traditional, you know, they, they have a formula they want to be fulfilled. Clearly defined lines, routine schedules, everything sticking to a, a plan. Now, that doesn't mean you're an unintelligent or uh, unnecessarily uncreative person. Uh, in professions where you have people with very high IQs, like in the law, in jurisprudence, you tend to find people that score higher in conscientiousness than in openness, for instance. Right. Okay. Now, that's the opposite of me. I score very high in openness and, and lower, not too low, but at, you know, below 50 in conscientiousness. Well, let me, let me ask you a question. Now, this leads me to wonder is in in your research or experiential academic research do you have have you come across why where this comes from is you know the, when when a person is this sort of person whether they be conscientious or open whatever type of personality they may have is that coming at the point when the you know the the egg is fertilized by the sperm is it coming from oh, your no, dna no. it's not, not predeterminism uh, you know, it's you, well. You're bringing up the nature versus nurture debate, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah. And obviously, it's always both, and and you can never. There's no barometer to measure to what degree it's your genetics, and to what degree it's what life has brought to you and done to you along the way, right? So it's who can say that's that's an endless enigma. I'm just trying to figure out how to cure the Republicans, you know. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. I mean, you tend to find, uh, all right, the high in conscientiousness. You, that's an example. Okay, you like you like very very defined borders. So at the same time, you tend to find people who score very high in conscientiousness. You'll find, uh, and among conservatives, it's not an absolute law, but you do tend to find more germaphobes among conservative people politically, which is similar. It's like your body is the nation being invaded by the bacteria. You are a germaphobe. Do you, you see what I mean? Oh, of All of these things are connected. So since there are individual personality types that have this sort of thing, when you project it out into society it, and it ends up becoming political policy and political beliefs, 
it divides us. But when you, if you gain more awareness of your foibles as a person, it loosens your political ideology. You know, ideology is very dangerous when it's strict. All right, for instance, there are weaknesses of people like me, people who score very high in openness. We're disorganized. We're not punctual. We have a hell of a lot more trouble, you know, doing administrative paperwork and necessarily things. We're not the people you're going to you're going to count on to do uh, a job really well. You know, uh, this Jordan Peterson guy, I saw him talking about these very issues not too long ago uh, in a talk he gave. And his example was that, well, you know, you want people who are high in openness, the creative types or more artistic types to found companies. You know, that's your Steve Jobs. But you need the high in conscientiousness types to run them because otherwise the person who's creative will – you need somebody who's just going to get into the day-to-day practical hands-on matters that need to get done, right? Well, you know, so those, that's more the managerial uh, style of thought, I guess. And that makes total sense to me. And I'm, I'm wondering, uh, Global Hobo, JQ Public, regular contributor here on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, I'm wondering why is this so important to you, the personality traits? Why are you thinking about this lately? Why – have you done so much reading on personality traits? What, 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 what are you trying to figure out? Why is it so important to you? You are listening to Troubadours and Rock on Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Well, a few things. Uh, one is self-understanding. Um, you know, Carl Jung in general is somebody to, to read and read deeply to gain self-understanding, but... As you gain self-understanding, you gain understandings of other people because the, they function in ways that are different to yours. And as you gain understanding of other people, you see where you're more unique or what you're like. So it's just a question of being in love with knowledge, I guess, and with psychology and with how humans function. Uh, as, as somebody – you know, that goes along with the territory of being a writer and a songwriter and, and somebody who communicates in language and in music. You – in language in particular, you, if you're creating characters, you need to know a lot about people to be able to create them well. So that's just personal passion. It's just something that interests me. You know, it's funny. There's that the other test, the Myers-Briggs test, that's got a lot of sort of uh, – it, it, there's followers of that or, or people who are very into Myers-Briggs. This is that test that gives you – uh, a four-letter code sort of personality type. So yeah. you might be an ENFP or you've heard of this thing, right? I, I took it a long time ago. It kind of basically is, I think, designed to tell you what to do with your life, isn't it? Like this is what you should be. Yeah, no, it's not designed for that. That's the whole problem is people have turned it into that. Ah. If you go back, all, it was based on uh, a book by Carl Jung, which I have here, which is about a 600-page tome, which is called Psychological Types and is one of his masterpieces. If you read his book, you don't get all of that. Uh, that's what people you, you get the the definitions of the main categories except for the very last one, um, which was actually made up by the people who created the test. But uh, introverted and extroverted, you know, whether you're what Jung was saying was that everybody is both an introvert and extrovert. But you, if you think of it as a continuum, you know, or a scale from from zero as the most introverted to 100% being the most extroverted, you will fall somewhere on that scale. And sometimes you'll you'll need to be more extroverted, and you, you'll use that part. But your your level of 
homeostasis, let's say, where your, your, your normal preference for your functioning will be either introverted or extroverted to a certain degree. And that's all he was saying. Now, the test, when it's well done, actually does give you that. The, the, the good Myers-Briggs tests, for instance, when I took it, I scored introversion and I took one of the good tests. So I knew that I was only like from 6 to 16 percent introverted the various times I took it, right? Mm -hmm. Which means I'm barely to that side of the scale, which is probably why it's no problem for me to get up on stage and play concerts. And I can be an extrovert at the drop of a hat if I need to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You see, but my tendency is more introverted. But anyway, to, this is a this is a problem with the Myers Briggs. It's it's been used for all the wrong reasons. It's more like it's 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 a tool of self understanding, and so companies have used it. There have been millions and millions and millions of Myers Briggs tests. We have tons of data on it. It, it, it got very popular for quite a while. Uh, but in fact, the things it works best for are for your own self understanding. As long as you don't really identify too much with the the four letter type that you're given, just use it to understand yourself a little. And if you know other people that have taken it, the types they the type they tend to score, that can help you understand them as well. That's that's all. It doesn't mean that that's who they are. But if you go on YouTube, you'll find people that treat it the way vegans treat being a vegan. You know, as an INFJ, I happen to be you know very artistic and so, that sort of thing. Um, and that's too narrow. That's not what it's for. It's also very useful for group therapy, by the way. Like, um, I, I have a friend in Florida. Her mom works with the Myers Briggs test and works with companies with using groups that have to work together. They'll all learn each other's types and so learn about each other, and it just sort of harmonizes the group. For that, it's very useful. It's and it's very informative for those types of things: self understanding and just getting along with people. Right, right. Self understanding is going to work toward getting along with people and. And uh, obviously, you're concerned about that, and you're interested. If not concerned, you're at least intrigued by how people get along, how people function, how people think and operate and respond. Um, well, sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, this this weekend with all these friends watching all these different types, you know, interact. You know, based on somebody's profession, the the the, the, the types of things that they're passionate about, you you can get an idea how they might score on these tests. But that's not important. It's it's more about you study these things so you can understand how people tick, you know, what makes them tick and how they function. And it, it can teach you to be a more compassionate and understanding person. And that to me is very important. And it seems something that's very needed today. You know, I think if people knew that their political type is a sort of, you know, a predetermined prejudice, you know, the left and the right don't aren't really talking to each other. They're talking at each other. Which is disturbing to me because ideas are not left or right. That's that's our entire political discourse is based on a phony paradigm that 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 conditions us to to binary thinking in a very complex world. Ideas are not left or right; they're good or bad, right? Right. When we talk about left or right, usually what we're talking about really is things like: uh, Do we prefer more centralized power or more dispersed power? And there's advantages and disadvantages to both those things. Do we here with this issue want to lean on individual rights or more on the community's the communal good? Okay, the good of the individual or the good of the community. Those things are sort of naturally in conflict sometimes, and you have to harmonize them. So things like taxes. If you're on the if you're a libertarian on the right, you believe there should be no taxes because of individual rights. But if you have a more left-leaning perspective, you say, but what about the good of the community? 
you know, or environmental legislation. Any, it breaks down very much along these lines. Do you need centralizing power can be a very good and efficient thing for things like the healthcare system, for instance. So, you know, it's one of the great problems with America, too many healthcare providers, it's too chaotic. And there's this, these, they can fix prices all over the map and it's, you know, whereas in the Scandinavian countries here in Europe, there's, there's a basically some variation of a single payer system. It's centralized in healthcare. So centralized power can be good there. It can be very bad in other respects. For instance, the NSA and having the power to spy on everybody. That's bad centralized power, if you see what I mean. That's really what the left and right, what we call left and right, is usually about. But we just talk about it in these binary terms, you know, rather than what we're actually dealing with. And people pick a side, and we're very tribal still uh, as a nation, Americans. And it's getting more and more problematic. And I just think that you know, knowledge about personality tests and, and how they how you score are tending to predetermine your political beliefs, I think that's actually sort of liberating. And that would really if it was taught in the schools from, from high school, say, people it would eventually change understanding how we see po- political beliefs. Does that make sense? It makes total sense, JQ Public, and I, I think that's a good place to, to uh, end our conversation this go-around. We're just about out of time and I, that was a beautifully well- uh, designed sort of stream of consciousness. If that's a that might be a, a contradiction in terms. Well, it was definitely stream of consciousness. <laughs> I'm sitting here drinking a, a fine bottle of ten year old Aberlour whiskey, <laughs> a beautiful single malt, uh, and uh, you turned me on, and I I just went. <laughs> oh, I love where you went. Thank you so much. And again, ladies and gentlemen, this is JQ Public. You can check out his artistic work, uh, in particular with uh, within the context of music, online. Uh, you, you just type in a, a search in YouTube, I suppose, right? JQ Public or Google. Well, yeah, a quick a quick plug on that before I go. It's uh, obviously they can find all the albums I've put out on iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, Deezer, all of those places. On YouTube, there's a few videos and a little news, which we'll talk about hopefully in depth next time. I am launching a new project. I've got tons of unrecorded material that I'm going to start releasing as a series of words and music videos on my YouTube channel. Excellent. Uh, So JQ Public, look me up and, you know, there's my pitch. Excellent. No, I I appreciate it. I'm, I'm really happy that you're part of Troubadours and Rock on Tours. I look forward to talking with you soon. Hopefully we'll see each other soon. Enjoy the south of France. Uh, we will see each other soon. I'm breezing into the States in April, and thanks for having me again, EW. It's always a great time. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'll see you soon then. Ciao. Yeah, hang loose, brother. One of these streets is bound to leave.
collective unconscious. A more or less superficial layer of the unconscious is undoubtedly personal. I call it the personal unconscious. But this personal unconscious rests upon a deeper layer which does not derive from personal experience and is not a personal acquisition but is inborn. This deeper layer I call the collective unconscious. I have chosen the term collective because this part of the unconscious is not individual, but universal. In contrast to the personal psyche, it has contents that are more or less the same everywhere, 
and in all individuals. It is, in other words, identical in all men and thus constitutes a common psychic substrate of a suprapersonal nature which is present in every one of us. My thesis, then, is as follows. In addition to our immediate consciousness, which is of a thoroughly personal nature, and which we believe to be the only empirical psyche, even if we tack on the personal unconscious as an appendix, there exists a second psychic system of a collective, universal and impersonal nature, which is identical in all individuals. This collective unconscious does not develop individually, but is inherited. It consists of pre-existing forms, the archetypes, which can only become conscious secondarily and which give definite forms to certain psychic elements. Carl Jung on the Archetypes The concept of the archetype, which is an indispensable correlate of the idea of the collective unconscious, indicates definite forms in the psyche which seem to be present always and everywhere. Mythological research calls them motifs. In the psychology of the primitive, they correspond to Levé Brule's concept of representations collectives. And in the field of comparative religion, they have been defined by Hubert and Mauss as categories of the imagination. Adolf Bastian long ago called them elementary or primordial thoughts. From these references, it should be clear that my idea of the archetype, literally a pre-existent form, does not stand alone, but as something that is recognized and named in other fields of study. What the word archetype means in the nominal sense is clear enough, then, from its relations with myth, esoteric teaching, and fairy tales. So far, mythologists have always had recourse to solar, lunar, meteorological, vegetal, and various other ideas of this kind. The fact that myths are first and foremost psychic phenomena that reveal the nature of the soul is something that they have absolutely refused to see until now. Primitive man is not much interested in objective explanations of the obvious, but he has an imperative need, an irresistible urge to assimilate all outer experiences to inner psychic events. All the mythological processes of nature, such as summer and winter, the phases of the moon, the rainy seasons, and so forth, are in no sense allegories of these objective experiences. Rather, they are symbolic expressions of the inner, unconscious drama of the psyche, which becomes accessible to man's consciousness by way of projections. Into my life came another man I know he wasn't my kind 
Trust. Sweet children so full of questions, they trust us to say and do what is right, all day, all night. They trust us to hold our own, to teach them of home, and to soothe their worries, and to help them make their dreams come true. Imagine all that on me and on you. And now, a lot of people have been waiting to see this and looking forward to it, me included. It is from Brooklyn, New York, LCD Sound System.
episode 261 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, our regular contributor, J.Q. Public, our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis, the great thinker, Carl Jung, and these musical artists as well. Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, Alu Dura, James Maddock, JQ Public, Nana Anderson, LCD Sound System, Branford Marsalis, and Terence Blanchard, too. Until next week, enjoy this one. Thanks for listening.